morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night across the globe. Uh, thanks for joining in. Uh, we, are, we are very excited to have another session uh, around SaaS challenges and customer success. And uh, I have my good friends, uh, Sue and Jason from Success Chain, join me today as we try and uncover some you know, challenges and uh, try and provide some guidance around user adoption in SaaS, which I believe is one of the very, very important aspects of driving customer success. So, Sue, Jason, welcome. Thanks for your time and uh, you know, look forward to having a good conversation with you. Anything to uh, begin this uh, webinar would be very helpful. Thank you very much, uh, Prithu, for, for your warm welcome. Uh, we're really pleased to be here with, with Jason to talk about this topic, which is something which is very dear to our heart. So thanks again for the invitation, Prithri. Yep, absolutely. We're excited to be here and share um, some of our experiences and hope it helps folks. So thank you so much. Most welcome. You know, I think, uh, again, and we have been talking on and off, uh, you know, and this is live and, and hopefully this helps the practitioners a little bit. So before we jump into it, some quick, uh, you know, logistics around the webinar itself. So uh, as usual, feel free to uh, put in your questions in the Q&A uh, box below. You'll find it there. Uh, the recording will be circulated to all who have registered for the webinar. So you'll not miss out on anything. Uh, so with that, you know, let's get going. Uh, you know, I think it is just to ask this question up front uh, to both you and Jason Sue. What, why is adoption a challenge? I mean, if there is value being provided by the product, Shouldn't value just drive adoption itself? Why is adoption a challenge in SaaS? Yeah, I think I think it's a great question, and I think what might be useful is first of all just a quick definition of what we mean by adoption. That, that might be helpful mm -hmm. because I think I think there are lots of different interpretations around what is adoption. So so for us, it really is when your users and and also the people are not necessarily using the tool directly, the stakeholders are adopting your tool in an optimized way. Uh, so it's really going to help, as you say, to actually meet their, their business needs and overcome their pain points. And I think just within that context, I think there's a sometimes a lot of um, confusion mm -hmm. around user adoption and change management. And, mm -hmm. and for us, change management is, is much more of an envelope. Mm -hmm. And it's what you're doing around those users, around their business environment, in order to drive that adoption of your tool. So change management is a little bit larger. I, I think there were several um, challenges around um, why it's difficult. Um, and I think a lot of the time it's simply because people don't like to come out of their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. They've been used to doing things in a certain way within business, probably using some other tool, using Excel, whatever it is. Yeah. And even though those habits and behaviors are perhaps, perhaps not impactful enough, they're used to doing that, right? So mm -hmm. it's difficult to get them to change their mindset and the ways of doing things. That's, that's the first one, but I know, Jason, you have lots of others <laughs> to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. And, and this is an area where I'm particularly energized and passionate when working with customers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you, you, the big piece for me is always it comes down to the work habits of how people choose to do their job on a daily basis. And 
when I look even just in a small organization with three or four or five people using a tool, some people like to get into their email first thing in the morning. Some people like to go and do other things. Some people check social media. Some people do all kinds of stuff. Everyone has their own routine. And when you're trying to get people to use technology effectively, you're trying to get them all to really develop similar work habits and work styles to come through the tool and do it in a way that not only can they do their job well, but they enable everyone else in the organization to do their jobs as well. And, and that's a big challenge. Um, you know, I kind of think of this as um, when you're implementing new technology, you're trying to get folks to develop new ways of working. It's kind of like getting everyone to want to develop a new New Year's resolution, you know, whether it's to, you know, lose weight, exercise more, do all the other kind of fun things that are out there. Um, and now imagine trying to do that across, get everyone in your organization to have the same resolution and then to achieve their goals and then to stick with it in perpetuity. And that's a, a hell of a challenge when you really think about it. So the technology is the easy part and, and it's complex, but it's programmed. It does what it's supposed to do. People are kind of wild cards and getting them to getting everyone to change with different levels of motivation and comfort and desires. That's a big, big challenge. So I think that's just um, sort of a high level contextual piece. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So. Yeah, I was just going to say, I love that. You know, we always say that the, the, the software, you know, that's that's the easy part, but it's the fleshware, which, which is the hard <laughs> part. Right. And all those human elements. Which it, which is going to impact, I think, always the organization of your customers' environment, yep. the processes that they have in place, the other tools. You know, a lot of the time, you know, one of the one of the big challenges around user adoption is that they have already internal conflicting tools, which mm-hmm. are going to compete with the tool that you're trying to put into place, right? So, so again, that that's another barrier to to user adoption. So, so I think linked to to all that is is a challenge around the direct managers of the people who are actually going to be using the tool who probably don't necessarily have the skills in order to make sure that they're driving their teams towards optimized user adoption so all the change management is around that Um, so that's another common challenge i think we're also in an environment today where companies on average, you know, they're increasing their spend on software. Mm-hmm. I read an article a few weeks ago that was saying that an average company has 130 pieces of software tools. I mean, that's enormous. Obviously, if you're a startup, you probably have less, but on average. So can you imagine trying to get your head around using all those pieces of software? You know, it's it's right. it's a massive puzzle, right? Right. Is it also okay to look at this, you know, what my learning has been uh, over the years, not necessarily only at Smart Carrot. There there are two aspects to user adoption. And and the customer who's purchasing the technology uh, for a lot lot of times uh, does not take ownership of that adoption piece, which is a problem, uh, and leaves it completely to the vendor because the motivation of your users in your own organization for whom you purchased the, the, the technology uh, is best known to you. So it, it really is. And, and the best adoption happen when both parties, you know, create a very genuine plan around addressing the key users and what their primary motivations are. And these are primary motivations. These need not be business motivations at all. I mean, I just Absolutely. want to save time and go back 
home to my kids and wife quickly so so if, if it helps me automation i will i will i will adopt it and you know it can be anything else so is that something you are also seeing as you work with multiple customers yeah yep. absolutely okay so. yeah yes yeah i think it's really fundamental and you, you you've hit the nail on the head critri because i think as part of our change management and customer success approach we should be saying up front that the customers are accountable for yeah. driving that internally. So there's ways that we, obviously we're external, we're customer success folks. So we can actually give them guidelines of, you know, what we've seen in terms of best practices, what other companies are doing and really help them from a distance to say, look, you know, you can put this into place. You should be setting up, for example, incentive plans Mm-hmm. for your own users, your key users, your champion, right. whatever, and give them incentives, give them MBOs, yeah. um, and, and then help them as a manager to be able to put that into place, to monitor it, right. and you know, give guidance to your managers so that they know what they need to do in the case where certain of them are lagging behind right. and what they need to do when others are excelling you know, and have a whole change of management plan around that. Right. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it's not even explained to the end user because somebody else purchases it. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily explained why this tool was bought in. I mean, you just dumped a tool and said, hey, from tomorrow you start using it. Uh, so yeah. obviously <laughs> there are challenges around that. Uh, yeah. who, who drives, who do you think drives adoption? Or who okay. should be driving adoption? I think that's one of the biggest challenges in most organizations, because we also at Success Chain, we work with a lot of um, buyers of software as, as well. One of the first questions <clears> I always come in and ask is, whose job is it in your organization to make sure the product is used and it's delivering value? And who is it that's going to be responsible to make sure that one, three, and five years down the road or 20 years down the road that your company is still getting value? And the typical response is just crickets. Like they hadn't even thought about that. And it's sort of mm. like, um, you know, if you don't have someone who's going to oversee the outcomes, you're already shooting yourself in the foot. And, and my general recommendation is for most buyers of software is don't even think about purchasing a software and spending money on it until you have a plan for how you're going to get the value out of it. And that starts with having someone who's going to be accountable for driving those results. Yeah. Um, I think the next piece is most buyers of software, uh, they're really good at getting technology live. They're not so good at getting the people to use it. And they just don't have the experience or knowledge about how to drive change and adoption at scale. And you know, when I ask them, you know, how, what does success look like three and five years down the road? You get them out of the mindset of go live on time and on budget. And you get them thinking about business outcomes and people using the system and new hires coming in. And then you can start to have a very different conversation with them. So I think as customer success professionals and as a software vendor, our job is to help the customer really recognize what a tremendous impact of changing behaviors and, and driving adoption of a tool is to critical for their success and then help them think through the steps and processes they need to go through in their organization all the time, helping them realize that only the folks in their organization, their leaders can truly drive that adoption. The software vendor cannot do that. Um, They've got to do it. We can support them. We can guide them, give them recommendations and help hold them accountable, but ultimately they've got to be the ones to do that. Yeah. And I think that just to, to add to that as well, I think, I think the biggest driver is really to understand with your stakeholders, with your managers and with your users, what are their objectives at each level? And if you can then tie in how your tool 
can actually relate to contributing to reaching those objectives at each of the different levels, then that will be a natural driver, I think, because, you know, they'll, they'll realize that they can be perceived internally as heroes or heroines yeah. because they're helping to move yeah. the needle forward. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Great. From a function standpoint, uh, it's very common these days that CS teams, not all, but a fair number of CS teams are also tasked with, you know, driving adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your reaction to that? You know, I personally, I think CS teams, uh, they need to have some expertise to help do that. And that has to be part of their mission because, uh, you know, as I was talking about, user adoption is on the critical path to value creation sure. and, and benefits realization and no adoption, yeah. no value, no renewals. Sure. I think the challenge is that most folks don't know how to do that. And I know from personally in my career, when I started out, uh, you know, I got a degree in information systems. I worked for consulting companies doing implementations, and it was very focused on go live and go home, map the process, get the system configured, launch, train users, get out there, and then go into support mode. And that was great. And it wasn't until I went internally at, at a Texas Instruments, where I was hired as an internal staff member, that my boss came to me and said, your job is to make sure that people are using the system so we can prove to the executives we're getting value. And I realized that's a very big difference job. And I, even with my previous experience in education, didn't know what I needed to do to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think most folks just don't have the skills and knowledge. And in my particular case, I went back to school and got another degree to learn how to do that. But most folks don't have that time or that option. And without having the expertise and confidence to help your customer drive adoption and to be able to give them true recommendations, I think a lot of CS folks are nervous and you're kind of setting them up to fail. Great. Yeah. Great. And I think just just related to that as well, I, I think a lot of the time in, in the world of customer success, we're, we're talking a lot of the time about adoption, about the tool. We're talking a lot about the features, the functions, the bells and the whistles. And I think what we should be talking more about is how this tool is immersed within the business environment of our customers. If we can have this kind of language as a customer success person, meaning we have the expert knowledge of how this tool is immersed within their processes, within their organization, within business as usual, that's how we can better drive adoption because adoption is never just about the tool. Adoption Mm -hmm. is always contextualized within the business environment. So if we can come top down and say, right, okay, first of all, we're going to help you and guide you around how to use our tool within your organization, maybe impacting your organization, how to use our tool within your processes, and how our tool is actually going to fit in with the tool stack that they already have, you know, because it's really important to know how your tool is going to be in sync with maybe Mm -hmm. with plugins, with other tools, maybe use it within processes within the other tools, right, as well. So that's where I think as customer success person, we can really help to start to drive adoption of the tool. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And again, a common challenge which I've also been seeing is uh, you you have to obviously, uh, and Sue and Jason, both of you highlighted it. I think the, the challenge is that how do you understand the value and the key objectives of why this tool was chosen and how do you align respective users uh, to achieve those goals, right? Without yeah. that being the fundamental tenant, it is obviously going to be very difficult to, 
uh, drive adoption, which I think absolutely CS has to do and has to be trained to do and has to be motivated to do. What happens practically though, uh, it gets passed on to training. <laughs> yeah. You I know, always look, you know, yeah. people always assume training is the problem. And, and I've, I've encountered yeah. this many times. And part of our methodology, you know, we look at a couple of different things. One is, do they know what to do in their organization to drive change and adoption from a yeah. change management adoption expertise? And if, you're, if your customer doesn't have that expertise in-house or they have it in one or two people, but those people are booked on other projects, so it's not available to you, it's still, it doesn't matter if they have it in-house, <clears> it's not available to you. Yeah. But then we always look at um, what are sort of the barriers, sort of comes down to can end users use it and will they? And sort of barriers and drivers of adoption and motivation. And many times when, pretty much every time I've come into an organization, we ask questions and there's always some barriers that are outside the end user's control that prevent them from using the system, even if they want to. And many, many times those are missed during the implementation process. You're not going to train someone out of a structural barrier if they don't have access rights or if the data is wrong or if there's some big gap in functionality. That's the training is not the solution to that. There's a different way through that. Um, You know, and I think also as Sue touched on with the motivation piece is, uh, looking at motivation at different levels from the structural reward systems to what do people want for growth in their career and, and what does what does personal success look like for them? And there's a lot of variations. Um, mm-hmm. What motivates someone just out of school and, and first job and very excited about their career is going to be very different from someone who has you know, screaming kids at home and they need to get to versus mm-hmm. someone who's going to retire in six months that just wants to coast and get on with things. There's not a one size fits all. So I think unless you have an approach to really look at all of those elements, you're going to really struggle. Yeah. And and I think that's it's often a, it's a missing element, you know, when when people do invest in software, they haven't mm-hmm. probably fundamentally asked this question of why, why the hell are we investing in this piece of software? You know, what what is the compelling environment for us to want to invest in this software? So that has to be answered, obviously, by by the, the stakeholders, uh, the sponsors. Uh, and if they cannot answer this question, then, you know, I think we're in trouble right from the outset. Right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, what we usually do is say, what is what is the reason? What is the compelling event around this investment? And what we really have to understand, is it because um, there's some kind of uh, regulation uh, that they have to comply with? which happened here in Europe, you know, here in Europe, you know, everybody was going to GDPR a few years ago. So there were lots of compelling events uh, around that regulation. It could be, you know, as as we've just seen with COVID, we've just seen, you know, lots of compelling events, companies having to pivot in order to react Mm -hmm. to to the COVID environment. And now we're we're going up to a recession, of course. Yeah. (laughs) So so there'll be lots of adaptations, you know, in order to, to, to really meet up um, and, and make sure that we're ready for, for that. So that has to be explained. That has to be explained by, by the sponsors. Yep. And then they have to decline, okay, we've invested in this tool because it's going to help us at different levels. It's going to help us strategically. It's mm-hmm. going to help us at the team level. And, you know, there's also going to be some advantage, some benefit for the mm-hmm. individual users as well. So that needs to be mapped out and communicated, right? But otherwise, otherwise teams are, are just going to have those barriers up and say, uh, oh, another tool yet again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Sue, I think you've touched on a really good point there because many organizations I've seen, they may, the executive buyer, the business buyer may have this high level of vision of what they want to achieve, but they never cascade that down or they rarely cascade it down into what does this mean at the manager? And what does this mean at the end user level? And mm-hmm. when I've gone out there and interviewed end users, I'm like, oh, 
you were trained on the tool. You said you understood it, but you never used it. How come? And several times they've just said, no one ever asked me to. Um, No one ever said what I should do and when. And and really just going through the basics of, of this is what it, this is what it means for you in your day to job, what we need you to do, making that explicit, mm-hmm. asking and then following up, are they doing it? Yes or no. Yeah. And having that be someone's role to do and, and little things like that can have a huge impact, but they're often skipped. Yeah. Um, so, and that was a question I was actually going to ask you because mm-hmm. uh, adoption in general uh, means something for a tool, mm-hmm. but in Ground reality adoption is actually by role or by the actual end user or by the persona of the user and what yeah. role he or she plays in the organization, right? So if I'm an admin and I have an admin role, the way you drive adoption towards me has to be distinctly different than I'm a day-to-day user of the tool and participating in all the workflows the tool has to offer vis-a-vis someone who's only re- looking at you know executive reports on the tool. Uh, so very different, and it's not uh, very common to find adoption strategies being driven by persona because the value is very different for different people. The tool means right. different things, helps in a different way. So, what are some guidance, you know, or, or you know, tips you have? How do you actually address this challenge that there may be, you know, n number of personas involved in utilizing the tool? How do you distill that? Yeah. Yep. That's a that's a great question, Prithri, uh, and I, I'm a big fan of this actually. Um, so, so I think there are different angles of which mm-hmm. you can segment the adoption of your tool. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is, is is one you've mentioned, which is based on the role that they have towards the tool. So right. whether they are an administrator, whether they're an end user or a champion or a key user, or even a sponsor, you know, a sponsor. could have needs just around reporting. He doesn't have to actually manipulate the tool from an operational point of view. So so that's the first possibility. What is the role um, uh, for the specific tool in question? Um, And what I really like as well is to have, um, you mentioned persona. And what I really like is, is, is to try and map what are the different use cases for your tool based on a business need, right? Mm -hmm. So that business need could be a persona. You could, depends on how you define the persona, but it could be um, the main sponsor. The main sponsor, typically when we are selling our, our piece of software, our main sponsor, ideal sponsor is this person, right? So it could be a head of human resources. It could be head of PP of sales or whatever it is, whatever you're selling. And you base your adoption of the tool based on your knowledge of their pain points and their needs and how your tool is then going to help them overcome those pain points, right? Um, so that could be something which you do in an education way around your tool by, by segmenting your customer base and then having all your communication, your customer education based on those personas. And also in some companies, what I've seen is they've actually embedded that within the tool so that they're funneling their tool So that if you are a certain kind of persona, then you only use certain features and functions and you're funneled, you're channeled within that part of the tool. So you're probably only seeing 20% of the tool, but 20% of the tool is perfectly sufficient for you. You don't need to see 100%, you know. So so that is something which I love because it's very customer focused. 
Brilliant. And it's focused on their needs and not saying, here, I have a wonderful tool. Please use 100% of it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think from a, a CS point of view and a vendor point of view, those are great suggestions because this is things we can do and provide guidance around personas that will fit across all of our customers mm-hmm. uh, and where it needs to go. I think in addition to that, ultimately, within the customer's organization, they've got to be driving the the adoption at their different user group levels themselves and making sure that they're actually doing that. And you know, some of the things that I've seen very effective is set a, a goal for each department of what is the business outcome we're trying to achieve um, in here. And some of that may be, oh, um, like if they're doing a, a, a collaboration tool, we want to reduce in-person travel and travel expenses by X percent within 90 days. Get pretty specific. Mm-hmm. Each department, mm-hmm. how are you going to reduce yours by this much? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sue, you touched on a great point as well with executives need dashboarding reporting. As we all know, that also means then they have to cascade down the front line that they have to get people putting in accurate data, maintaining it accurately so that they have reliable information. And sometimes yeah. that step gets skipped. Um, yeah. what, what I've seen very helpful too at the end user level is, is this typically the single biggest driver of adoption is the immediate supervisor. And those folks need to be engaged with managing their team and managing their team's usage. And many times end users and supervisor, or supervisors and managers, um, no one has ever said it. It's your job to get your team to use it well. So they don't realize this should be part of their responsibility. Um, and then you can get very, very basic. So we actually, on one implementation, um, what we found is people were learning the tool. They were trained. Many of them are motivated, not all. Um, but they really didn't understand what was good usage and what was bad usage and what was the difference in how to recognize it. So we did a series of lessons learned reviews with them initially on a weekly basis for an hour to, to show them, here's what you need to do. This is what you guys did this past week. It looks great. Here's where you had some challenges. Let's improve that next week. Tell us what you need from us to improve things. And here's a specific goal for what we want to see for next week and then repeat and repeat. And what we found when we did this is, um, you know, it really, when we approached it as a lessons learned and a, a, an improvement effort, as opposed to we're going to punish people for who, who didn't do things, we got some great collaboration with folks. We learned some new ways of doing things that were even better than what we designed that we could then take out to the rest of the organization. But over a period of um, two to four months, adoption went through the roof, data quality went through the roof, and we started to get mm-hmm. the metrics to prove that we were reducing time to serve customers, that we were incre- having a positive impact on finance. So as a result of that, we could see the value that was already always promised. Um, prior to doing those efforts, we not only didn't create the value, but we had no way to report on it accurately because the data was hit or miss. So I think making sure that you're doing those things at that very tactical level um, for a period of time is absolutely critical. And I think a lot of organizations don't understand what they should be doing. Then they skip that critical step. Right. Wonderful points. Uh, One, one quick observation uh, though. Now uh, you mentioned that, you know, the, the, the purchaser also has that responsibility and we discussed it a little while back you mm-hmm. know, that they have to drive the adoption to a large extent. Uh, in in practical terms for let's say a mid-sized organization or even a smallish organization, large organizations obviously have this problem even more. Yep. There are so many tools coming in. You know, the, the SaaS boom has, what it has done is now there is an explosion of tools. There is overlapping tools like Sue, you mentioned one connected to the other. It's a chain of tools and, you know, what have you. We integrate with at a minimum five systems for every of our own implementations. There you go, right? So uh, how, it's not practical for the client to actually do it for all the tools, right? 
So what, what does it mean that the change management is really tool agnostic and it has to be driven from what they're trying to achieve? Like you said, Sue, that this is what we are trying to achieve from a business standpoint. And it may need three tools. And hey, this is how you actually use all three of them. Uh, does it have to be something like that? Or, or do you go really tool by tool? I think from from what I have seen and, and, and certainly the experience of trying to really accelerate user adoption, I think part of our job as, as customer success is to really understand their context, particularly when we're working in a high touch, you know, we have those conversations mm-hmm. with, the, with the main stakeholders. Obviously, obviously if you're in a low touch approach yeah. doing customer success, you can't have all those conversations. It's not possible. But if, if you are in high touch customer success mode, you can have your your main sponsors and really understand what is blocking them with with the adoption. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I had an experience of um, a, an enterprise worldwide account and we were having adoption problems with with our particular tool. It was a lead generation tool. And, and so what we did was to really understand how this tool actually was supposed to fit in with the environment that they already had and just through having those strategic conversations with with the with the top sponsors and stakeholders we were able to really um uncover lots of things lots of blockers which Mm -hmm. we didn't know before just by asking the right questions and we were able to put into place um an action plan based on you know what they're doing with their processes how they could probably adapt their processes how they right. could adapt the incentives which were they're putting in the place for for the different team members, et cetera. And, and so in some cases, it can also impact the tools, the other tools that they're using. In some cases, maybe not. Uh, so right. I think I think we really need to understand, especially, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of situations where teams have been using a tool which is very similar to yours in mm-hmm. the past. And then they're supposed to be getting rid of that tool and they aren't, you know, they haven't made it a complete abandoned tool. So right. that's creating internal competition with your right. tool, you know? Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. yeah. You know, I, I think another thing to keep in mind too is typically when implementing a new tool, that's when you require the, the biggest push for a change and adoption effort. You, you still need to sustain it year over year. Um, but you know, as you mentioned, Sue, organizations having over 100 tools, they're not implementing them all at the same time, and they're not implementing them all to every user in there. So I, I think there is value uh, when you're implementing a new tool that you need to have someone who's focused on the change and adoption and value of that big tool. And the bigger the investment and the bigger the impact and, and more widely diver- uh, used across the enterprise, the bigger the effort needs to be around that. Um, you know, But you don't have to worry about everyone all at the same time. So I, I think you, you can do a balanced approach there. I think for larger organizations as they get going um, and they start to realize, oh, we need a methodology around adoption and outcomes and, and sustaining that across our entire tool stack, then they have some room for how do we have a centralized team around that, whether it's a PMO or center of excellence or something like that, mm-hmm. that can really uh, look at the collaboration across all tool sets and, and see where they need to go. But but very few organizations are that big or have that need to do that right away. Right. Right. Yeah. I have one uh, discussion point. I'll go back a little bit to what uh, we discussed earlier. I missed that point at that time. 
So we would discuss that. Yes, absolutely. CS does need to participate actively and hold a decent amount of responsibility in driving adoption, largely adoption through value, not through training. Uh, I also feel that a lot of times uh, CS is the only team which gets you know, uh, that responsibility, which is not correct. I think uh, product teams, people who are building the product, why have you built it this way? I mean, that, that, that mm-hmm. onus and responsibility has to be yours as if it is not being used as much as it is about you know, any other team. Uh, how have you seen this collaboration and, and you know, equal sort of responsibility being driven primarily across CS and product teams to actually practically drive adoption? Yeah, I, I think I'm definitely um, seeing more and more where product teams are realizing, you know, that customer success is not a, a band-aid team, which <laughs> is going to try and compensate everything which is not going right with the product. So yes. I think that's an awareness which, which we're seeing. And there are certainly more and more product teams are actually building what I call customer success inside. It's not Intel inside, but it's customer success intelligence inside, inside mm-hmm. of the product. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's that's really uh, the future. That's the future of where we're going with customer success, which means that we as customer success teams will still be there, of course. It's not yeah. going to replace customer success, but it means that we can concentrate on more of the added value, sticky right. stuff. And yeah. the sticky stuff for me is everything I mentioned around the organization and processes, right? Um, I, I've seen examples of um, product teams. Um, it's a bit like what I mentioned before, where they're funneling. Mm-hmm. So based on persona, based on business case, based on jobs to be done, yeah. they're actually funneling that within their within their within their tool. And then I've also seen um, other examples where they're actually building into the tool um, some kind of ROI indicator, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that you know they're thinking in advance, they're anticipating the value that we're bringing to the customer. And they've mm-hmm. enabled that with an ROI calculator of some sort within yep. the tool, you know? Yep. You know, That's I, the future. and I spoke to an organization the other day that was looking to develop their customer success team, uh, especially around adoption and, and all that piece. And one of the things that they proactively said is they recognize that their CS team needs assistance here, but their implementation team needs to be involved because they're working so closely with the customers hands on and that they should be doing more. And I absolutely right. agree that it's not just the product team. Uh, in fact, I'd like to see more folks during the sales cycle itself having discussions with customers about, right. let's talk about your business problems. Here's what our tool can enable for you. But now let's right. also talk about um, what you need to do in your organization to get value from our tool or any tool. And we right. and having a better case of we can better support you through that through a better customer success program that's focused on adoption, that's focused on helping you overcome these actions. Because I think... Right. There's so many times salespeople lose credibility because they make it sound the tool will do everything. And yeah. the custom, savvy customers, um, you know, buyers have been down this road many times before and have heard it all before and they they know better. Right. Yeah. And I'm certainly seeing more cases of sales teams actually using some kind of value selling methodology, right? So mm-hmm. instead of talking about products, features and functions, they're actually right. talking about outcomes. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's encouraging. You know, it means that we're really in sync between the sales and customer success, all talking about the values. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Uh, we'll jump into. There's a question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'll add a little bit of 
color to that as well uh, from my side. So the question is around what are the best five KPIs to measure uh, user adoption? Uh, and, and I think there's one more similar question. How do you track customer adoption? Someone is asked. So it obviously, how do you measure it? You can't measure it. You can't improve it. Uh, so what do you measure? One. So that is the question which has come from the audience. I also want to add one more of my own. Uh, it's just not you know, five matrix or one matrix or two matrix across, you know, the entire org, probably if you look at it's a customer journey and the maturity phase, the customer goes through with a vendor um, mm-hmm. at different phases, you might need different matrix to be tracked. You know, so when, when implementation is on, where there's an initial onboarding, uh, your standard matrices may not be relevant in a steady state adoption, obviously different set of parameters might apply. What's your take on that? So first, what are the best KPIs to measure adoption? And should there be different KPIs for different phases? Yeah, I mean, the, there are already um, industry adoption metrics which are used. Um, mm-hmm. So some of the more common ones, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're necessarily the best ones, because I think what you need to do is to adjust whatever metrics are more pertinent for your particular context, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and based on the type of tool, the complexity of the tool that you have. So there are some um, common ones. I will mention some of them. I mean, one of them is the active users, how many active users you have. Another one is um, whether or not the, the number of licenses are used, so license utilization. Right. One that I really like, actually, is um, top feature usage. Mm-hmm. But there again, I would say that you have to contextualize that based on what we're talking about, pretty, which is persona or jobs to be done because you know you could have you could have Romeo who's <laughs> who's a top user using this top feature and you have Juliet who's right. using uh, probably more so this top feature but because Romeo and Juliet have different profiles and different use cases then right. you know we, we can't we can't kind of compare her cabbages and carrots right so we need to keep that in mind i think another uh, one is activation rates so the mm-hmm. activation rate, you, you've bought a, 100 licenses and mm-hmm. you're only using 20, for example. Right. Right. And another one is, is time spent on the product as well. That, that's another thing. Um, but I think what we really need to understand is based on those indicators, obviously it's just an indicator, is to always understand what is the use behind mm-hmm. it, right? right. That, that's really important. For me, the best metric, however, if we're talking about adoption, the best metric is whether or not our customer has achieved their outcomes. That's the best yeah. one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, you want to add on anything? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Sue says, and, and she's done a lot of work with her AMPM metrics. And I think the piece around adoption metrics, keep in mind, you know, adoption is critical path to the outcomes, which is what you're really after. And, and Sue's like the best metric is really the performance metrics, the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need to be focused. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges of getting too sucked into adoption metrics, obviously you have the transactions that are created and all the ones that Sue said, but what it's, you can't capture not effectively is what are the things that are not being done in the system? So, okay, we've got this great, you know, 25 records per day by person, but we have 75 that are done in Excel. There's no way to really compare those pieces. So it's hard to say what's missing or, oh, this one group of people didn't use the system, like a sales folks didn't put in something in the right. CRM that the support people right. need. 
So now the sport people are spending four hours a day trying to track down the missing information. So right. there's a lot of critical performance and activity metrics that are not going to be within the system um, just because of the nature of it. Whereas right. I think coming back to Sue's points by by looking at those activity metrics, you get some leading indicators. You can have conversations with folks, um, yeah. but it's ultimately that performance that you need to be focused on. Yeah. Um, uh, similarly, I, I think it's very hard to put a correction factor in for um, the quality of the data that may get entered into a system that, you know, right. okay, we've got, we've got stuff in here, but it's all gobbledygook or unreliable. So right. is it really worth the time that we put there? So, mm-hmm. so, you know, you have to look at that as well too. Right. Yeah. And, and then for oh, the second yeah, question, right. the second question was about guiding adoption across the customer journey, I think, because the life cycle, right? Was, was that the question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really important as well. It's a great question. Um, and, and I think, yeah, absolutely, that that's what we should be doing because as as you are investing in a tool, you can not hope for a big bang operation within the first three months of the investment. That's not possible. Really. Yeah. So I think our job as customer success folks is to be realistic in what we are guiding the customer, which is achievable to do mm-hmm. in the first three months, in the first four months, five months, whatever, and probably say, right, the onboarding period, you know, we have to define what we mean by onboarding. When does that start? When does that finish? And what would be a realistic quick win to measure right. in terms of adoption and performance mm-hmm. right. during that onboarding phase, right? And, of course, that will be variable from from one persona, one job to be done, one right. vertical, one re- whatever, whatever you, de- you determine is pertinent. And then once you've got your customers to that first important milestone after the onboarding, then you continue to say, right, fantastic, let's celebrate. You've got to that first milestone. Now let's go on to the next one. It's going to take you another three months, four months, whatever, to get to this. And then you start to put into place um, a different use case, something which is probably a little bit more complex, something which is actually going to impact their processes, impact their organization, right? right. Um, but that first onboarding should be something very simple, um, which is not too complex for them to actually orchestrate, yeah? Right. Yeah. Uh, we have a few minutes left. There is this one question that came in fairly early, and I think parts of it has been covered, but let's just revisit it a little bit. So the question is, we have different levels of understanding of tool across the client organization. Since we have standard processes in place, how to design an optimum system that addresses this challenge? Uh, so what I understood of this is, you know, client organization has different understanding of the same tool. And, you know, the, the vendor organization has standardized, which is what we really discussed that you get one size cannot fit all. You probably still need to go back and look at your process and, uh, do it either by the jobs to be done or by the persona or what their primary motivation is, because without that, you know, you will hit a brick wall. Uh, and so any thoughts, Sue, Jason, on that one? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and it does echo what we were saying about the fact that we need to identify with the vendors, what are the different roles, which we're talking about, Prithri. So it could yeah. be a role in context of the tool, like an administrator, or the champion or the super user or the project manager even, what what are we going to communicate to them in terms of how the tool is going to help them achieve their specific objectives? Uh, and it could be on, on a different level, 
how are we going to make the, the different users or stakeholders, they may not necessarily be users, but stakeholders having a benefit as a consequence of using the tool, how are we going to make them understand, you know, what the tool is all about? So we can have different levels of granularity of communication, especially yeah. in the big accounts, the enterprise high touch accounts, yeah. so that everybody really understands, you know, what, what your tool is about. Um, so it really comes down to understanding your customer's context, the different stakeholders within this context, and how they can become heroes and heroines by mm-hmm. using your tool. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. I think, uh, you know, we are just mm-hmm. about uh, one minute out. So uh, I think we had a very good discussion, some very good questions as well. Uh, unfortunately, could not address all of them. Uh, but but uh, the recording will get circulated and we'll see if we can address some of these questions offline as well. Uh, so thanks everyone for joining. Uh, thanks Sue, Jason. I think uh, very, very insightful. And, you know, we will obviously keep connecting, but but thank you for taking time out and doing this live webinar. Absolutely. Thank it's you so much pleasure. for having us. Thank you, Prithi. Thank you everyone for listening. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank now. you. Bye. Bye. Take care.